Good to have you, Dave. Welcome to The Real Changelog. Yeah, thanks. It's a pleasure and honor to be on. Um, uh, you know, we are already, I think we lots of people are eager to see when Real 7.1 will be available. And no one seems to know or have any idea when Real 7.1 will come out. Do you have any guesses when you think we might have Real 7.1? My guess, it's going to be Rails World. Uh, around that time, they will announce it. But I mean, honestly, I am not the person to ask because I really have no idea. Right, right. And um, I think this is one of the few minor versions that have taken quite a bit, a bit long to be released, don't you think? I do, but I'm also really excited for what it's bringing. You know, just notably the integration for Maersk. I think that Rails 7.1 is going to really help tie that together and make deploying our Rails applications more accessible to those who maybe don't have a DevOps background. Because Heroku is a great solution for those who are just kind of, you know, getting started, kicking their feet. And since then, Render and Fly have also popped up. But I think that if we can reduce our reliance on third parties, like Render or Fly or any of the other deployment solutions and go directly to something that maybe we're more familiar with, then not only are we going to have a more stable environment, but we're not going to be off guard in situations where maybe we need to migrate infrastructures or something because that's what the organization is requiring. Right. Have you have you had a chance to use uh, Mask in, in, in production? I don't use it in production because before Merce came out, I kind of set up my own environment where I have Docker swarms set up. And with those, I use Portainer to manage them. And my Rails template that I use for any kind of long-living project will automatically create the production Docker file as well as a Docker Compose that I can then deploy to the Portainer environment. Right. That's that's quite a setup. <laughs> Yeah, I I haven't had a chance to use Musk. Uh, that's partly because I work with a team, and the decision to um, set up deployment tooling is is not um, dependent solely on me. So probably I might play with it sometime, but I'm not sure when that would be. Um, uh, let's let's focus our attention a bit on what's coming up in Rails seven point one. And I think I know already that you already have some PRs that you're particularly excited about. And some of them include uh, documentation, right? Documentation, yeah. get get don't get the credit they deserve. And I think it's really very important that we um, pay attention to documentation inside of Rails because without them, you can just go around in circles not knowing um, what to do with yourself or what to do with the application when things go wrong. So uh, starting off with the documentation, which ones caught your attention recently? So there's two main ones that caught my attention, and it is the documentation of common active storage issues. And that was from the Dan Bob. And I really like that one as well as the active record encryption documentations. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce their name correctly. Uh, Gilskew. <laughs> I'm not sure. But 
the reason why I like these is because documentation is so important. We, as seasoned developers, we don't really understand or realize or have that insight of newcomers coming on board having issues. And as you search for different kind of issues, if it's not in the documentation, then you run the risk of following some blog article that could be outdated when there's better alternatives or a better path. And with this documentation, because it is getting merged into the Rails main branch and Rails has a good track record of versioning their systems, then you can actually pull up a specific branch of Rails that you're using, search the documentations on there or on the official docs guides. And having that kind of searchability is so critical in being able to discover a proper route to go or something like that. So I'm really big on seeing the documentation and the change logs. And I think that it overall is going to strengthen the product, even though it's not adding functionality, it is, it is the documentation around that functionality. Right. Totally. I agree with you a hundred percent on this one. And also I think, um, uh, aside searching through the repo itself for the change log and looking for the changes in the documentation, I think uh, the Rails has a website for documentation. There is the main stable, for, the one for the stable branch, and then there's, there's the one for the um, for for Edge Rails, right? Yeah. So so the changes that you would find inside of the repo are actually. Um, they actually show, correct me if I'm wrong, they actually show on the Edge Rails guides on the website, which I think I think makes it easier for, for navigation because they have everything um, titled and you have the chapters and everything and, and it's everything, every documentation is visible there. So let's talk a, a bit about the one of the items that you mentioned in um, around the documentation, which is about the active storage issue. Um, the one that I'm seeing in front of me is the documentation of common, uh, document common active storage issues, uh, which is by default in Rails, attaching, attaching files to a has many attached association, association will replace any existing attachments. Uh, can you say a word or two about this? What, what this is about? Yeah. So if you've been using active storage for a while, and if you've ever had to do something where you are uploading multiple files against a certain model. So, for example, let's say if you have a gallery and the gallery has many attached photos, then you likely would have run into the situation where you've updated that gallery with additional photos and it deleted all of the previous photos. And that can be a very, very uh, frustrating experience especially if you're talking about something that is more mission critical and housing like irreplaceable data. So having this disclaimer or the documentation to saying, hey, here is the default behavior that Rails is going to do. And if you want to get outside of that default behavior, here's how you should approach it. Because for a while, there were many different solutions out there for people that would say like, hey, here's how I'm getting around this. And there were bugs that were reported saying that active storage is deleting my attachments, but that was the expected behavior. So having the documentation on, you know, creating a hidden field 
where you were then passing in the signed IDs for the images to retain them in addition to the ones that you're uploading, I think is just a wonderful addition to the documentation. I'd like to tell you now about our newest sponsor, AppSignal. AppSignal has been around since 2013 and they offer a comprehensive monitoring for Ruby applications, including error tracking, performance insights, server metrics, uptime monitoring, logging, and so much more. AppSignal is easy to set up and works seamlessly with all popular Ruby frameworks. It automatically instruments and creates beautiful dashboards for Sidekick, ActiveJob, and other integrations. Visit appsignal.com to learn more. And be sure to stop by AppSignal's booth at the Rails World Conference in Amsterdam this year. Um, the other issue around documentation is the one about... Uh, active record encryption. Can you tell me a bit about that one? Yeah, so when you are using the Rails credentials and uh, doing, or I'm sorry, the uh, encryption for co certain columns, then those are automatically filtered from the Rails logs, as I think they by default should be. But there are certain situations where maybe you do not want that encrypted column to be excluded from the logs. It's not exposing any kind of PII or uh, personal identifiable information, but from a debugging or troubleshooting standpoint, it can provide a lot of insights. So this was one where when I read, I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even know about that. So if I ever did come across that situation, I would be trying to figure out, you know, what solution can I do or I would come up with my own logging solution where I would just, in the controller, log out a certain parameter. But this is the proper solution where you can exclude from the filter parameters whichever ones that you specify. So having that documentation again and the searchability of this is going to be huge in creating a maintainable application instead of having either monkey patches or workarounds all throughout your application because the preferred method or best practices weren't known because they weren't discoverable. Right. I, I was looking at this when I was thinking, I, I wasn't so sure um, about this feature of allowing us to show inside of the logs things that we've encrypted. You know, like if we encrypt something, Naturally, I would think that a reason we are encrypting it is because probably it's sensitive. So if it's sensitive, why would I want to like give it up and then show it inside of the logs, for instance? Then then I, I would ask myself, then why did I encrypt it in the first place? So I'm trying yeah. to figure out if it if this is really needed, but but I don't know. <laughs> Well, you also have to figure that organizations have, a lot of organizations have red tape that just doesn't make sense. So they may say, like, if you have a user's table that does contain any kind of PII, then every single column, whether it is PII related or not, must be encrypted. You know, that kind of seems like a silly situation, but organizations have done a lot dumber things over the years. And as a developer, you may have certain columns on there that you say, sure, can be encrypted, 
But we also need to know what these values are in the logs if we are going to accurately debug and troubleshoot some issues as they arise. There is there is also a PR that was merged, and the title of this PR is Eagerly Cast Serialized Query Attributes. What's this about? So I've been in this situation many times where I've had to duplicate a record. And it wasn't really clear if that record was truly getting duplicated, what was going on behind the scenes. So it was a lot of guesswork. And so this one is a situation where when you call dupe, D-U-P, on a active record object, it'll return a copy of the object, but with the primary key set to nil. And so there's a, some debate where this should not behave that way, or maybe it should, but it basically is where it's at now. Right. And um, the, I see there are two methods here. Um, there is a, I'm not sure if there's deep dup and dup. Um, I'm not sure if they are actually in this PR, but I think this PR is actually very complicated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a difficult, sure. it's a, it's a very difficult problem, but I've not run, um, into the use case that you just described, but if if it fixes something that you think was supposed to be fixed, then I think it's a win for all of us, right? Yeah. So think of it like a uh, an example where you have a custom terms of use that people have to sign before they can use your product, and as time goes on you modify the terms and conditions. So you create a new record, but you want to copy from the old one. You can't edit the existing one because you will have people who have already signed it and you need to retain the original signed copy of when that was signed. So you can use the dupe or if you have associations associated with this terms and conditions, then the deep dupe. So it's a situation where I've always kind of started getting a messy database or just the data integrity of the dupe was just always kind of questionable or inconsistent. So it's good to see that work's being done around that to help just maintain that data integrity. Right. Makes sense. And then there is also this PR that, that I think was merged two days ago and it's coming to real 7.1. And the idea of this PR is basically to allow us to set when we can generate uh, has secured token on a model. Do you know anything about this one? Yeah, I was really surprised when I saw this one. I think it's really cool because I did not know uh, that you could do that, where if you have a secure token, then you can specify the on parameter and then say when you want it to be done. So you can say on initialize, and then when you create a new instance of that object or initialize a new instance of that object, then it's going to automatically generate that token. So I think that's a really cool thing that maybe you have some kind of test or validations that you're doing that requires that initial the initialization of a certain token 
and you get flaky tests just because of race conditions or something. But had that token been generated when the record was initialized, then that could have resolved that. I don't have any immediate use cases for this one, but I just thought it was a really good one to just kind of take note of that it could be a good tool in your tool set down the road if you ever do run into those kind of issues. Right. And uh, this one this one is nifty. I also cannot think of a use case for it right now. Uh, but previously, the behavior of this has secured token was that it would generate a token for a model only after it had uh, the model had been saved. So if you had a mm -hmm. new model, you wouldn't get the token on the model unless you actually um, call save on it. And after save has uh, been successful, then only you'll be able to have access to the token. But now with this one, you can pass the on option where the token is set. Um, I think there is a, there is a callback that's uh is, is it set on the on a before callback oh it's set on the um after initialize so mm -hmm. after initialize the model you would be able to have uh direct access to the token which is which is quite cool so if you have like a model dot new you can um immediately call token on it and then see the generated token that would be attached to 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 this model model which is which is cool lots of good things yeah. coming into rails 7.1 and I'm looking forward to uh, see it released into the world. And what you said earlier about it being released on Rails World, I think it makes sense because Rails World would will have, I can imagine will have a lot of stuff to to announce. And I'm thinking DHH has left some um, hints that. You know, the, the, the third part of Hotwire, which is Strata, I think will be released around um, uh, in, in, in October when we have Rails World. I'm not sh entirely sure if this is true, but it would make sense for, for, for Rails to release all of these things when we have Rails World in, in Amsterdam. Thanks for coming on the show, Dave. Yeah, yeah, it's been an honor. <laughs>